wow, my preaching clock says I have an hour to preach. This is going to be a good sermon. This is going to be so good. So I plan my topics a year in advance, and usually a year, somewhere between eight months to 12 months in advance. I spend time in prayer, and I just believe that God is not limited by time. Like, some people think to be spirit-led, that means you have to ask God in the moment what he wants next, but I believe that he's not limited by time, so I can ask him a year ago what he wants me to speak 10 months from then, and he can plant it in my heart so that my team and those that are supporting the topics can do their thing. They can plan sets and they can be creative. Like, you don't have to always be last minute and procrastinate to serve a consistent, you know, on-the-spot God. Do you know what I mean? And so I do, and, and after saying that, there are many times where we might change it. Like, God will put something in our heart, and then in the moment, God says, no, extend this series or do something else here. This is a moment I've stepped into, and we flow with that. Uh, but a year ago, I planned this series, and when I opened up my sermon calendar this week to see what was happening today, I kind of got giddy uh, because this is a topic that I love to teach on. Uh, I used to not. A lot of pastors don't. A lot of pastors won't even teach this, and I'm not sure. Well, I do know why, but I love it. This topic gets the most breakthrough of any topic that I preach at the Exchange Church. When I preach on this topic, we see more healings in the room, physical healings, mental healings, emotional healings than any other topic that I preach on. We see more marriages restored on this topic than any other topic. Now, you would think that this topic would get the most backlash, but it actually doesn't. This gets the best feedback of any topic that I talk on at the Exchange Church. And the topic is generosity. Generosity, a generous life. That's the series that we're heading into today. We're going to be talking about tithing and giving and what the Bible says about money. And I get why some pastors are, are afraid because people who are rebellious towards God in their giving throw darts when the topic comes up. <laughs> But the people who are faithful tithers and people that are carrying the vision of the house get excited when the pastor talks about it because they think, finally, he's talking about it. Somebody else besides me can do this thing. You know, there are people with the gift of giving among us that look around and they can sense even in the spirit realm who has a gift of giving and who doesn't. And inside they are grieved because they want all of us to experience the joy of giving like they do. So faithful tithers usually love this series. Um, so if you're a faithful tither, just know I'm not trying to get money out of you. I'm just letting everyone else know what God is doing inside of your heart and inside of your life. This is a celebration of you and God, but also it's an invitation for other people to step on board. Those that are far from Christ, I love the myth that talking about money makes the world angry. You know, it's the church people that claim sinners get offended at the talk of money. You know that, right? Very few sinners walk into a church and hear about money and get offended. Because sinners understand it costs money to go to the club. It costs money to go to the movies. It costs money to go to that football game. Like, people in the secular world understand that you live on money. Why would that not be the case in the church system? So, People that are far from God, they really don't get offended. The people that only get offended with the talk of money are those who know better but refuse to participate in what God says about money. 
Okay, so now you're still free to get offended in this series. I'm not trying to, like, keep you from getting offended. You're welcome to be offended. But I just hope that you'll have an open mind. I love this book. If you want more information, I'm not preaching out of this book. This is just an old classic that I love reading. It's about money, possessions, and eternity by Randy Alcorn. And I'm going to read three paragraphs from his opening chapter. Uh, ushers, please see that three-month-old out. He is wet. Oh, four. He's four. That's my new grandson. Were we the Bible's editors, we might be tempted to cut out much of what it says about money and possessions. Anyone can see it devotes a disproportionate amount of space to the subject, right? When it comes to money and possessions, the Bible is sometimes redundant, often extreme, and occasionally shocking. It turns many readers away, making it a hard sell in today's marketplace. It interferes with our lives and commits the unpardonable sin. It makes us feel guilty. If we want to avoid guilt feelings, it forces us to invent fancy interpretations to get around its plain meanings. If the Bible were written today and judged by what it says about money and possessions, it would never be published. We come to the Bible for comfort, not financial instruction. If we want to know about money, we're more apt to pick up the Wall Street Journal or Fortune, Forbes or Money. Scripture should concern itself with what's spiritual and leave. Scripture should concern itself with what's spiritual and heavenly. Money is physical and earthly. The Bible is religious. Money is secular. Let God talk about love and grace and brotherhood. Thank you. Let the rest of us talk about money and possessions and do whatever we want with them. How could the Bible's author and editor justify devoting twice as many verses to money, about 2,350 of them, than there are to faith and prayer combined. How could Jesus say more about money than about heaven and hell? Didn't he know what was really important? What a great book by Randy Alcorn. I really recommend that you get this. This is my very used copy because I've read it multiple times. Pedro's read it. Pedro, I noticed when I loaned this to you, you marked it up a bit. It's okay. It's okay. I... I actually will read one of your markings. It's quite good. None of us can enthrone the true God unless in the process we dethrone our other gods. Thank you for coming to today's sermon. The title of my message today is Who's On First? Who's On First? Father, we come before you today. I ask that you would just... Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. This very fundamental and foundational topic of money and possessions and eternity. God, there is a reason why you focus so much on Scripture. There is a a reason that you're trying to get into our hearts. So I ask that, God, whatever our posture is today, whether we're excited to hear about this or we're kind of not too happy, God, just soften our hearts and let us just receive from you. Don't let us feel any guilt or shame today. Let us feel anticipation and hope for what you might be trying to stir inside of us. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen. 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 So I want to talk to you about the principle of first. F-I-R-S-T. First. You could call it the principle of first things, uh, but I just call it the principle of first. And I say that if God is in your life and he's first in your life, then everything else will come into order. We know that from Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. And I, I get it. In our crazy, busy, rushed culture, there are a lot of things that grab for our attention. There are a lot of things we're running after and chasing after, and especially in this crazy economy, some of us are losing our jobs and possibly having to relocate and having to dip into savings, and now savings are running low. Like, I get all the things that we have to chase, but the principle remains the same. Seek first, first, the kingdom of God. And everything else will be added to you. When God is first, everything else is in order. It just falls into place. Like the first domino that you hit, when God is first, everything else falls in place. Now, what I'm not saying to you, I'm not saying that you're not going to have difficulties or problems or that your kids aren't going to get sick or that you're not going to lose a pet or that your rent's not going to go up or that you're not going to have other struggles. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Can I get an amen from somebody? Say, that's me. Look at your neighbor and say, that was for me. Jesus knew me. I have tribulation. You are guaranteed to have tribulation in this world, this is little t tribulation. This is not the great tribulation at the end of days that Scripture is referring to. It's saying if you have a heartbeat and you're breathing, you're going to have problems. It's called life. Can I get a good amen? Some of us are always looking for the devil behind every bush, or every time the leaves turn brown, we're looking for the demons, and I'm like, it's just fall. Sometimes things happen because it's just life. Bad things happen because it's life. But I do know this. I would rather go through tribulation with everything in order than go through tribulation with everything out of order. If God is first, everything will come into order in your life. And if he's not first, everything will stay out of order in your life. God has to be first for there to be order in your life. So for those of us who feel like our life gets a little bit discombobulated, that's a fun word, out of order and crazy and a bit fuzzy, the first check is, is God first? When things seem out of sorts, back the train up and ask yourself, is God really first in my life right now? Because when God is first, everything else falls into place. Now this principle this principle of the first is a principle that goes all throughout Scripture, from Genesis, which I will show you in a moment, all the way through the book of Revelation, which I'll show you Revelation next week, I believe, and, and how that even applies to the end time and what God says about money and the end of days. It's, I'm excited about next week's sermon already, if you can't tell. But this principle runs all throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 13 because my goal for today and this kind of shortened, abbreviated sermon is for you to get one very clear concept rooted down in your soul, okay? The principle of first is foundational 
to your salvation. Let me explain. Exodus 13, 1 through 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. It is mine. God says, it belongs to me. Now, I wish that I could clearly articulate just how emphatic that phrase is in the Hebrew. It is mine. It is very strong. God is saying, hey, it's mine. It's my property. It belongs to me. I'm the owner. So God is saying to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. They're mine. It it, it isn't a friendly like, hey, God, would you like a piece of cake? Would you like a piece of cheesecake? And he's like, "Mm, I think I'll have the blueberry slice. No, God is like, the whole pie is mine. He wants you to understand the first belongs to him. Then we jump down to verse 12 through 13. That you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Now, it's important to understand that if you don't redeem it, you're going to lose it anyway. Okay? We will be able to apply that as we look at the principle of first in our finances later on. Uh, But if God is basically saying here, if you don't bring it to me, you're going to lose it. If you will not redeem it, then you should just break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons shall redeem. So I want to pull out three points today on the principle of first. The principle of first is so critical to us understanding God's whole philosophy of money, possessions, and eternity. Point number one is this. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Sacrificed or redeemed. If we look at our text, we see that this principle in the Old Testament is talking to people about donkeys and lambs. Now the question arises, how do I know if I sacrifice it or if I redeem it? That's a valid question. Well, the Bible tells us. It gives us two animals as examples. He gives us the donkey and the lamb. The donkey represents the unclean animals. And the lamb represents the, so we have unclean and we have clean. If the animal is a clean animal, it has to be sacrificed. If the animal is unclean, it has to be redeemed by the sacrifice of a clean animal. I hope your mind is taking you forward a little bit to see that this is foreshadowing of a Messiah that's coming, that's going to carry a a cross upon a hill. Uh, Now, Another question I need to ask you, when you were born, little Luca's four months old, and he's as cute as apple pie with vanilla ice cream and a drizzle of caramel, he is just that cute, but on day one, was he clean or unclean? His spiritual state when he's born, before accepting Christ, is he clean or unclean. Not after the nurses wipe him down and hand him to the mother. I'm not talking about his physical appearance. 
his spiritual state. Are babies born clean or unclean? Unclean. The Bible says we are all born into sin. He's as cute as apple pie, but he's sinful. I'm hoping during today's sermon he's going to accept Christ. Thankfully, until he's old enough to do that, he's covered by the decision of his parents, his mom and dad, who are followers of Jesus, and that travels down to Luca and covers Luca by the blood of the lamb. But that is one sinful little boy. Now, just to make sure we all agree, let's ask the experts in the room, parents, when your kids were born, did you have to teach them to be good or teach them to be bad? You had to teach them to be good. You had to teach them to share. You had to teach them to not scream at you. You had to teach them to not pull your hair. You had to teach them how to be good because we are all born unclean, but there was one. There was one who was born perfect. There was one who was born clean, and his name was Jesus. Now, according to the law of first, the principle of first, to redeem all the donkeys of the world. Y'all, you know, you can use any word you want for donkey. To redeem all the donkeys of the world, there had to be one that was clean, a lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth so that you and I could come into right standing with our creator so that we could be co-heirs with Christ. And he was slain so that you and I could be redeemed. This is the principle of first in action in Exodus chapter 13 foretelling of the Messiah who was to come to bring you and I into right relationship with Jesus. That's actually how important this principle of first is. This, this principle of first things is not, was not started because of your money. It was started because God had a plan of salvation for the world. The principle of first began so that you and I could come into a salvation experience. You can't even be saved without the principle of first at play. Are you hearing me? Are you feeling the weight of this moment? Are you, are you understanding this is bigger than just some preacher trying to get your money? Come on. The principle of first... We see it in Exodus 13. And maybe you've, you've never thought about it. I mean, we often decline the principle of first in our budget. But look how important this principle is in our eternal salvation. You can't deny the principle of first when it comes to salvation because the first was slain so that you can be redeemed. We have to embrace this principle to even be redeemed to even be saved. And maybe you've never thought of it, but Jesus is God's tithe. God gave his first. His first was slain. And Jesus is the perfect lamb that was sacrificed to redeem us, the unclean of the world. The principle of the first. The first. You know it takes faith to give your first. Talking about money... Right now, if, if you give the first 10% of your income, that is a tithe. Tithe means 10, the 10%, the first 10%. It's actually not the 10% that activates the blessing in your life. 
It's the first that activates the blessing. Giving first to the house of God, giving first your contribution requires faith. It doesn't take any faith to pay your mortgage and get your pantry full and pay your utilities and get all the birthday gifts and all the party stuff done and then see what's left over and give God. Oh, well, I've got 50 bucks left over. I'm going to give God $45 of it. That took no faith. You gave him the leftovers from, from your plate after you had dinner. What takes faith is the first. When you honor God with your first and, and you, yeah, you have your budget and you know what your tithe is and, and you give that first and, and then you trust God with the rest. Jesus is God's tithe because God gave Jesus first. He didn't wait to see that you were going to show up. He didn't wait to see that you're going to shape up. He didn't wait to see that you were going to straighten up or clean up. God gave his first right in the middle of us mocking Jesus, spitting on him, crucifying him, nailing him to the cross. God gave Jesus in faith first. Because the principle of first is important. Romans says it this way, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, God said to bring all the silver and gold from Jericho into the house of God. It, it, the tithe has always come into the house of God, to the treasury of God. That's where your tithe goes. Um, we, we don't get to divvy up the 10% and oh, we'll give 2% to the hungry person on the side of the road. We'll give 3% to the homeless person will get 4% to this ministry that's doing a good work. 10% goes to the church, and then the church is accountable to God to meet the needs of their community. That's why we're collecting diapered huggies sizes four and five out in the front, because there's a pregnancy center. Hey, if we believe that life matters and we don't want children aborted, then we should be supporting pregnancy centers and helping people with their babies. And that's why at this table we have Huggies size four to five because that's what they currently need. Come on, church, don't, don't send your voice to a voting booth that you're not going to send your wallet to a table. Did I just say that? We're a people who have conviction about what God's word says, but also follow through to support those who are are less fortunate, less blessed than we are. People that are finding themselves in moments of crisis, this, this is the right place for the church to come alongside them. Young women, young men looking for answers, we should be the tangible answer from Jesus to them. The first portion is the redemptive portion. When you give God the first, the rest is redeemed. I can't say this any more clearly. In my own life, over and over and over, I have tried to renegotiate my bills and my budget. And I have tried to get certain debts paid off and then go all in with tithing. And for whatever reason, the wheels just fall off. When I try to manage 100% of my income, the wheels fall off. I, I don't know. I don't believe that I'm cursed. I don't believe that God sends a little curse dust your way because you didn't tithe. I'm not legalistic about it. But I do believe that when I trust God with the 10%, he does something with the 90. The gas in my car lasts longer. The house stays cooler and the bill doesn't go up. Like it's just very bizarre, weird things. I call it a covering. 
It's like God doesn't curse me if I don't tithe, but I sure sense the covering. I sure sense the pleasure of the Father. I sure sense this deepening relationship because I'm trusting him with the tithe, with my 10%. I bring it to the house. The first portion is the redemptive portion. Now listen, some of us in the room, I've, I've talked to you recently, some of you are trying the strategy that Carrie and I did when we started giving. We didn't have the faith. Ultimately, tithing is a faith issue. It's a clear indicator of where your heart is and where your faith is. That's scriptural. So if you're not tithing, it's just a lack of faith. It's unbelief on your part, and that's okay. We've all been there. Carrie and I were there. We had a ton of bills, weren't making a lot of money. We were both in college full-time, had two small babies, and we were, we were broke. We are so broke we couldn't pay attention. We were very broke. But we made a decision. We're going to honor God somehow. We're going to start with 2%. So Blanco, we figured out what 2% was. And 2% seemed, we knew that, we knew that it wasn't 10%. We knew that. We had the conviction to know that we weren't meeting the standard. But our heart was to progress. Our heart was to get there. So we started with 2%. And as we did 2%, we started finding, okay, we can do more. Then we bumped it up to 4 and then 5 then 6 And now we do 10%. Now we don't do under 10%. We have to go higher than that because we've learned that we're actually not generous until 11%. The 10% belongs to God. So I'm not doing God any favors or the church any favors by bringing what already belongs to him. I'm just being obedient. I'm not offering what belongs to me until it's 10.01%. That money that I could then use for ice cream, that money that I could use for birthday gifts, when I start to offer that, that's generosity. That's where God can really start to work miracles in my life. So if you're at 3 5 7%, here's my challenge to you. Keep doing it but do it first. If you're only at 1%, do it first. Let it be the moment you get paid. Pull out Secure Give app and send it first. Before you go to HEB, before you get tired and swing into Taco Bell. Does anyone still go there? I don't know. <laughs> first. Even if it's 3%... Be proud of the fact that you're trusting God by doing it first. And then just see what God is going to do. Did you know that giving is the only time in Scripture where God says, test me in this. Put him to the test. This is the one time where you can take God at his word, put him to a test, and he's going to show up and he's going to fulfill his promise to you. So test him. Test him. The second point today is first fruits must be offered. So we saw the the firstborn, now it's talking about first fruits. So we see, okay, the trend is developing of first. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with your first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I just want to make a note here that this is in Proverbs, some hundreds of years after the law was given. So we see... The principle of first and first fruits, hundreds of years after the law was given. What's even more interesting to me is that the first time we actually see tithing in Scripture is when Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. That was over 400 years before the law was given. So some of us have been conditioned to believe, or we've chosen to believe, 
that tithing is the law that Christ did away with, but that's actually not true. We see the principle of first from Genesis to Revelation. We see tithing from Abraham 400 years before the law was given, and we see it here in Proverbs hundreds of years after the law was given. So can we at least agree, I'm not saying you have to commit to tithing, but at least agree that tithing is not locked into the law, it supersedes it. It came before, it came after. Jesus even references it in the New Testament. We'll get there eventually. I just like the Old Testament for today, and I've only got four more minutes, okay? Exodus 23, 19 says, the first of the first fruits, I like that, the first of the first fruits. In case you didn't catch the word first the first time, let me say first a second time. The first of the first fruits of your land, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Speaking of first fruits, for all of our team exchange volunteers today, we have some gardeners in the house who brought some of their vegetables, garden fresh vegetables. They're in Volunteer Central. Um, so after service, go. you can get some zucchini, some potatoes, some onions, some cucumber, some whatever. Squash is in there. Yeah, grab some. That's just our way in June to say thank you for helping us grow others. For those of you who don't serve but would like fresh vegetables, you can sign up at the information desk. And we will send you home with some fresh vegetables today as well. Bring your first fruits of your land. You shall bring to the house of the Lord. I like the word choice here because it says bring. You bring it. It doesn't say give it. We're not really generous because we're giving what already belongs to the Lord. The first 10% of our increase belongs to God. Malachi said, Bring the tithes into the storehouse. Notice the word bring. God uses the word bring instead of the word give when he talks about tithing because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. One of my kids, I won't say their name. <laughs> eh, try again. <laughs> One of my kids has had had this habit growing up. We would be going on a, a road trip or going somewhere, and we would pack like just enough water bottles for our family. And this, this child, wonderful person, wonderful, generous heart, very loving, very kind. But Addison would <laughs> go into our suburban, and she would gather water bottles to hand out to all of her friends. And I would look back. She would come back. She was like, oh, I gave water to them. And I'm like, but those were, I brought those for us. I mean, I'm not trying to be stingy or anything. I would have brought more. I had more water bottles at the house. But those actually weren't yours to give. You're not generous when you give someone else's belongings away. I mean, it's not generous for me to say that Greg Smoot is going to pay for your lunch today. <laughs> That's not generosity. That's absurdity. It's ridiculous. But yet we have the audacity to think because we're giving our 10% that somehow we're a super Christian. No, we're, that's a bottom rung of obedience. We're just bringing God what belongs to him. So we bring that into the storehouse. We bring the tithe. We give an offering. We become generous and we give after we've brought what already belongs to the Lord. Even before Abraham 
we see the principle of the first. This is fascinating. Have you ever wondered why God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's? You ever read that and thought, well, why is that? I mean, these are two brothers. God kind of started a family fight, a family feud. One of them ended up dead. Like, why, why wasn't he just gracious and say thank you to both of them for the offering? And I'll explain it to you. It's right there in Scripture. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 tells us why God did not accept Cain's offering, but he did accept Abel's. I'm going to read the verse, and you tell me if you can pick up on the principle of first. Genesis chapter 4. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offspring of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Oh God, now they're tying offerings to the character of the human. What's next? The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain brought in the process of time, when he got around to it, when the stars aligned, when the budget made room for it, Cain eventually, it came to pass that he brought an offering, not the first fruits, not the firstborn. He brought an offering to the Lord. But God, it's not that God wouldn't accept it. God couldn't accept it. Can I go a little deeper with you? Just, just, I'll just dip in the water real deep and then I'll pull you back up for air, okay? There are some things that God cannot do. God cannot go against his character. A few examples, God can't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's impossible for him to change. If he could change, he would only get better. But if he could get better, that means he's not the best God now. God cannot change. In, in the theological world, we call that the immutability of God. That's a doctrinal term, the immutability of God. Here's another thing. God can't think the way we think. In theological terms, we call that omniscient. God knows everything all at once. We think to process. We think to get to a conclusion. We think by gathering bits and pieces and, ah, oh, it occurred to me that this Oh, I just had this idea. But God can't do that because God knows all things at all times. He, he does have thoughts, but he doesn't think to have something occur to him. God has never said, oh, I just had an idea. He had the idea from the foundations of the universe. He's just implementing it now. God was never surprised and said, oh, myself. OMG, OMG, oh myself. God, God never did that. He can't think like you and I can think. God can't lie, he can't be wrong. The theological word for that is inerrant. He is without error. If God said it, he meant it. He didn't mean it for a certain culture or a certain time or before we thought it might be acceptable as a people or we've evolved past God's word, if God said it, he meant it. He can't lie. He can't be wrong. 
But this is, this is the other point and why he could not accept Cain's offering. God can't be second. He's a first God. He's the top of the rung God. We call that, our theological term is preeminence. Meaning, not only is God first, God is before there is ever an order. Cain did not bring a first offering, and God just can't be second. And if God isn't first for you, I can assure you, it's not God that's mistaken. You don't have the luxury of reordering God. He's preeminent. He was before you, he'll be after you. Whether you choose to put him first or not, he's still first. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me take us out on this text. Exodus 13, we'll pick up reading verses 14 through 16. Gosh, I love the Old Testament. If you ever read the Old Testament through the lens of it foretelling the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, you can see the crucifixion in the Old Testament. You can see it all, the story play out repetitively over and over and over. Exodus 13, verses 14 through 16. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? They're referring to the law first, the clean, the unclean, the clean, redeeming the unclean, giving God your firstborn, giving God your first fruit. When your son sees the principle of first in your life and asks, what is this? Then you shall say to him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So we see in Exodus 13 that the principle of the first isn't just about redeeming the rest. It's also in response to God bringing us out of Egypt. God bringing you out of bondage. God bringing you out of sin. Giving God the first doesn't just make the other 90 redeemed. It points back to a God who rescued me. It's a reminder to my children and to my children's children that I'm going to honor him with my first because he gave everything for me. To our graduates this morning, my hope for you is that you always put God first in your finances. Not only does scripture make it abundantly clear that your tithing is an indicator of your heart, but your foundation of tithing will be what creates legacy in your marriage, in your children, in your children's children. Tithing and matters of money 
tied so closely to matters of the heart is the one principle that if you master it now, your life will never be the same. Don't let the law of first be anything that you have to negotiate ever again in your life. Let it be settled. Giving the first is a mark in my life that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. I'm not sure that I would go so far to say you can't be a Christian if you don't give. I wouldn't say that. But here's what I would say. It's close enough to the heart of the Father that when Jesus met Zacchaeus, it was when Zacchaeus honored God with half his wealth that Jesus said, now salvation has come to his house. We know in Scripture that where the treasure is, there your heart is also. We know that the Lord spoke about money more than any other topic in Scripture. I don't believe that it's required for salvation, but I do believe that those who don't step into the freedom of tithing never get beyond salvation. You've only made Jesus your Savior as if it was just enough for him to die for your sins, for your entry into heaven. He's not your Lord. If he were your Lord, you would obey him in the first. Giving the first does both in my life. It points back to that salvation experience, but it looks forward to the lordship, to the surrender, to the obedience of Jesus Christ in my life. Next week, my time is up, by the way. Stand to your feet so some of you believe I'm done. <laughs> Next week, oh, I hope you're going to be here. It is a powerful sermon. I've written more than half of it already. I'm going to talk about materialism. I'm going to talk about choosing to serve God or money. The Bible calls mammon, the money mammon. I believe there is a spirit attached to mammon. When we don't redeem our money with the first our money carries with it a spirit that is sent on assignment to destroy your home, to cause things to break, to cause relationships to be destroyed. And furthermore, I'm going to prove to you through one simple verse in Revelation next week that the spirit of Antichrist rules through the spirit of mammon. So how is the Antichrist in the end of days going to take over the world? It's not through nuclear explosions. It's through mammon, through money. Father, we come before you today. Oh, God, I thank you for just allowing us the opportunity to humbly sit at a table and discuss a topic that's so close to your heart. God, may, may none of us leave here feeling guilt or shame for a process that we're growing into. God, let us be inspired. Let us be inspired to trust you. Father, for those of us that are currently dealing on shaky ground, we're having instability in our home and our finances, let us all the more apply the rule of first, the principle of first. Let faith come alive in our hearts. God, I sense in the room that there are some of us that it's been a long season since you've challenged us to take big steps of faith. We say yes to you, Lord. God, give us eyes to see the faith opportunities that are before us. Let us honor you with our money, with our possessions, with our time, with our talent. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you guys receive the sermon on Monday like a pro? I appreciate you being here today. I hope that you will take what you received in here and give it to someone out there. We will see you Wednesday night for Awaken, 6.30 p.m., or we'll see you next Sunday, 10.30 a.m. Invite a friend. Invite some new married couples so the Rodriguez's have some friends. All right. We love you guys. Have a great night.